A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. It's the worst idea of all time. It's the worst idea of all time. It's the worst idea of all time. Season 2. Welcome along to the worst idea of all time, episode numero 45. My name is Tim Bat. My name is Guy Montgomery. And hey, Tim, old buddy, old pal, first yes, time sir. talking to you, even seeing you this year. You mm. look great. You smell better. It's good to be alive. Thank you so much. Guy, where about to you coming to us from? I'm not next to you, so the smell no. was a guess. Yes. I am in Christchurch, New Zealand, the mainland. Jewel of the South Pacific. What? New Zealand or Christchurch? Christchurch. Christchurch specifically. Truly not. <laughs> no, it isn't. It definitely isn't. But it's a, it's a nice town. It's fine. It's... I was born there. You were born there. We were all born there. I was born in Wellington, actually. Well, we're all children of New Zealand, Guy, and that's what matters. Uh, welcome to a podcast where Guy and myself watch Sex in the City 2 every week for an entire calendar year and re- keep reviewing it. We're up to week 45. That is, and... uh, it's a heck of a lot, Tim. I actually, because you just called it a review podcast, and it occurred yeah. to me uh, in between the movie finishing and this conversation beginning, mm. that we haven't really been abiding specifically whatever the rules or notions of a review are. We mm. find it very difficult to uh, bunker down and uh, nail into the movie, you know, as as a movie is traditionally reviewed, which is you assess the plot, uh, the you know, the acting, sort of the whole feel of the thing, the scope of it. Well, gosh darn it, guys! This is the difficult thing about the podcast. How how are you supposed to keep doing that forty five times in a row? It's uh, impossible. <laughs> and therein lies the challenge. Yeah, you know, the. Someone who's just about to finish an Iron Man wouldn't say, "How am I meant to finish this?" I've been no, the the analogy's broken. All I'm saying, Tim, is what are, are you, you talking what are you, Iron Man the movie or Iron Man the triathlon? I'm talking about the triathlon, sort of Iron Man. Okay. Do you know how big yeah, that it is? Work. How? What do you mean the coast to coast? Is it the uh, is the coast to coast a different thing? Uh yeah, the coast to coast is a different thing. A full Iron Man. I know this because my little sister's. Uh, she's going to do a half Ironman, a full Ironman. That's five kilometers of swimming, forty-two kilometers of uh, running, and a hundred and eighty kilometers of cycling. Not necessarily in that order. Good God! How far can you swim if you need to? 
Me? Yeah. Uh, I'm a born winner, Tim. I can probably swim 15 kilometers in choppy yeah. waters. Are you serious? Absolutely. i got a heart yeah. that just won't quit. You're like the human fish. I would die instantly. Not a strong swimmer. Not if you were with me. I'd put you on my back, and God damn it, I'd drag you for seven and a half kilometers. I'd freak. I'd be one of those guys in the water who freaks out and drowns you accidentally, and I'd, I wouldn't even I'd want not. to do it. It's just a, it's a human instinct. I'd calm you down. I'd rub my knuckles down your spine and say, mm. "Who's a good little catfish?" And then you would actually. It's a hip, 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 hypnotist technique, and you would then think that you were a catfish, and you'd say, "Well, you wouldn't say anything because you'd be a catfish," and you'd just swim next to me. Righto. How'd you find the movie this time, Guy? Uh, what was your experience like? Well, I wasn't with you. Okay, well, as a reviewer, Tim, I'd like to say I think this movie fundamentally fails uh, across the board. Uh, I don't think that the the motivation for the... I'm just following tips from dailywritingtips.com forward slash seven dash tips dash four dash writing dash a dash film dash review forward slash... Uh, the actors met my expectations. Yeah, you know, they, they were good. Uh, <laughs> compared to the last time you watched it, or are you trying to reset your brain? And- no, I think I think compared to the last time I watched it. And right. I think this is one of the virtues of the movie, is the actors will always meet my expectations at this point, uh, because they're, they're more or less set in stone. So that's a positive. The acting, I guess it is. It's acting- hard to be disappointed when you've seen the movie 40 times before. But I can say with supreme confidence and argue, you know, with my hand on my heart to say that the acting met my expectations this week perfectly. Fantastic. In so fact, the whole movie... Five stars for acting? Five stars for acting. In fact, when I put it in that lens, the whole movie met my expectations perfectly. This, this is, a, is the tricky thing about doing a film review on the 45th watch, isn't it? It's a five-star movie. You, I, you know, I knew what to expect and they delivered. Fantastic. What did you think? um, Really struggled. Really, really struggled. Didn't have a good time. I um, tried hard from the outset to just just get in there, maximum, put myself in there into the screen and uh, be part of the fun. And it was difficult. My shining light, actually, I'm just going to throw it in now at the five-minute mark, was um, quite early on in the wedding scene. Uh, when Liza Minnelli makes that crack about weddings, uh, sorry, marriage being a serious business, or so she's heard, which I, I think is a reference to having multiple marriages over her, her lifetime. Uh, Nikki, who's uh, one of their brothers, Stanford's brother? No. Uh, yes. No. Anthony's brother. Anthony's brother. I beg your pardon. He is too. Um, Nikki doesn't like that. Nikki doesn't like that joke. Nicky looks visibly disappointed and he shakes his head, not in a way like, oh, that old Liza Minnelli, but in a way like that was in poor taste. He's a conservative guy. This is what we he know is. about him. He, he, he believes in the sanctity of marriage right. and fucking people at weddings like a machine. He has been a youth pastor uh, at the Church of Noah for nigh on six years now. And uh, What gospel exactly is he following that he's leading children and just having rampant sex with... 52-year-old woman he meets at parties, at weddings, no less. What, at his brother's wedding, no less. What gospel? Yeah. Uh, the gospel according to Chris, chapter 9, <laughs> beginning at verse 4. And yea, thee shall defend the sanctity of marriage while exploring thine own sexuality with a 52-year-old woman at thine brother's wedding. Or 
uh, Carrie Preston, Queen of the Underworld, shall take thee. Take thee yeah, testes wanna... through th- thine urethra. Jesus. I mean, Wait, it's, all, it's, all, it's all there, Tim. It's all in the text. It's ancient text. It's Aramaic, so the translation isn't a hundy, but uh, we get the gist of it. That according to Chris' show that Chris Rock did, he actually stole the title of the cartoon, the animated series that he did from the gospel. Ah, according to Chris, uh, the church yeah. was around before Chris Rock's show. Obviously, the church was around before Chris Rock's show. I mean, let's not get bogged down in semantics. Tim, it's a fine shining light. And uh, speaking of conservative, I'd like to stay on that note because I notice a potential alternative plot line or wrinkle uh, mm-hmm. that as yet has not occurred to me in the movie. As Dickbot takes Samantha on their lovely date uh, and he, he teaches her how to smoke shisha for the first time uh, and things are getting pretty heated pretty fast, I think it would be fair to say. I don't think anyone would would you know call me a liar for attesting to that. Uh, and the conservative man gestures that he is upset. There's outrage. He throws his cutlery down, doesn't he? I put it to you. This man is not upset by the overt sexual innuendo occurring mm-hmm. between Samantha and Dickpot, but that his fish, which he spent five minutes getting the details of from the waiter, was not as promised said once on either side, but in fact cooked clean through. Set on either side, maybe, but put in a warming tray, overheated. It, it's uh, it's dry, it uh, it's crumbly. It's 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 not a good bit of fish. So what we've been led up to believe uh, until this point is that there's an Arab man that we see who's sitting with his wife, who's in a full burqa, um, across from them, and when it, Samantha is, uh, how did you say, filleting, uh, filleting the shisha pipe. We've been led to believe that he's outraged by that action, but actually it's just coincidence that it's happening at the same That's time. Right. He's outraged by his meal. It's just well, ambiguous me down. ambiguous editing. And then this is this point was even uh, hammered home further by wherein uh, Samantha and Dickbot agree that they both need a walk on the beach um, on account of being lightheaded from the shisha, presumably, and they stand up and Dickbot is at half-mast. He gestures angrily. Now, we never see specifically who the angry gesture is at. Now, I put it to you that he is not, in fact, gesturing towards Samantha and Dickbot, but he is towards the chef or the kitchen, <laughs> as if to say, well, you send them out here, and they can have a bite of it and tell me this, this fish isn't cooked clean through. So then who is the... Do we just simply not see the person who lays so, the complaint? That, no, no. Well, what it is is the, the waiter is so inco- hilariously incompetent. He, in fact, uh, is, is there undercover as part of a method writing process because he's writing a sitcom about working as a waiter in a fancy hotel restaurant. So he del- in Abu Dhabi. That's right. So he deliberately fumbles the complaint uh, all the way to the top. And so he... These uh, four women are just a subplot in the pilot episode of his sitcom. So he deliberately sabotages uh, Samantha and Dickbot's walk on the beach and also sabotages the conservative man's uh, request to talk to the chef about the fish. It's absolute chaos. And ironically, the name of that subsequent sitcom is According to Chris. Yeah. An original series (laughs) set in Abu Dhabi. It took him so long to get it off the ground that obviously Chris Rock kind of... uh, Usurped that title. Well, no, because that was according to Jim we're talking about here. What did Chris Rock have? Yeah, oh, everybody hates, hates Chris. Chris. Oh, you you did right. Well, you like, did right. Let's not get a, a um a pop culture in a 
in a muddle. Let's all just. It's too late for that, mate. No, it's not. Tat of myself. No, you haven't. Guy, what happened is, um, fuck, I didn't enjoy watching it, and I kind of lay because I was I was here on the by the couch, and so I lay down on the couch, and then I kind of shut my eyes, and I think I may have drifted off briefly, but I can't be sure because I woke up and like everything was still happening. Because I've seen the movie so many times before, I can't tell if I remember hearing what was happening this time or if I was just drawing upon a last time. Uh, and I feel angry that I might have, um, as I call it, pulled a guy Montgomery and cheated by falling asleep through part of the movie. But I, I will never be able to tell. Uh, first of all, Tim, uh, I appreciate you calling it pulling a guy Montgomery, as I feel that is a fair and accurate title. Uh, I would like to challenge you as to suggesting that this is in any way cheating. Uh, as you As you learned... You are absorbing just as much, if not more, of the film in a semi-conscious or unconscious state with the film happening around you than you possibly could as a conscious man engaging with it. The movie's only point of entry into your body now is not through you as a conscious being. Mm. It's when your defense slips. Your heart keeps going, your brain shifts a gear, and it, it slips through your air, and it's sort of just its like a haze, a fuzz that collects around your brain. Far out, man. So by osmosis, really, is how I'm absorbing the movie these days. Yeah, and I'm pretty confident as to why that's that's why you look so fatigued, because it is altogether yeah. more exhausting. Well, I appreciate you noticing that I look very tired. Or tired and tanned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the Timbat way. That's the your, two T's of a Timbat summer. If, yeah, that's right. Tired and tanned. Those are good, a good two T's for summer. Yeah. It's a good way to be. You want to chuck a third one in there? Towel. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Nothing worse than drying yourself with a wet towel. Yeah, hate that. Or something that isn't a towel. So you clean all the... Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's bad. What, like, what are you thinking? I'm thinking underwear for some reason. I was, and I don't know if the underwear is clean either. I was thinking of an ice cream wrapper that you just found. Ice cream wrapper would... Not, you would be... It'd be like using a, a window wiper because it's plastic, so it wouldn't absorb anything. So you just have to use it to wipe all of the moisture off of you. You'd be moving the water around, if anything. What yeah, you want exactly. to do, if you're in a beach scenario, don't worry about the ice cream wrapper. Pick it up, put it somewhere safe, because don't litter your beaches, but just roll around in the sand. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Would that work? If you, if you rolled in sand enough, wouldn't you completely dry out and the sand would dry out and then it would just fall off you? Yeah, yeah, I think, in essence... Uh, Would well, that only work if you were in, like, salt, like pure salt? Like, if you if you were all wet and you needed to dry out, if you just chuck yourself into one of those salt mountains, would that work and just rolled around uh, for quite a while? Yeah. Are you not imagining being in pain when you're doing that, though? Nah. I'd, I think it'd be right. <laughs> I'd rather be hurting than wet. That's the Tim Bat motto. Wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it be fast to dry yourself by throwing yourself in front of a bus and therefore the air moving around you would dry your body? Well, as long as the bus didn't hit you, you probably got a point. No, I was imagining that you just do it to get dry because you'd, ra- you'd rather be dry- hurting than wet. Whatever you're saying is, you fucking yeah. maniac. <laughs> Tim, I've got some breaking news, okay? I'm a hydrophobe. It's, it's arrived today from yes. Richie Ryan or at hip underscore squared on Twitter. It is a link to an article on The Guardian, the title of which, Brain-to-Brain Interface Lets Rats Share Information Via Internet. Uh Uh-oh. Subheading, rats thousands of miles apart collaborate on simple tasks with their brains connected through the internet. What does this say to you? Um, 
it suggests to me that maybe Brady has formed a temporary alliance with Dickbot because Brady controls the biological elements of his kin, but the AI prowess of Dickbot is is all about the tech. He's the one who's in charge of all the computerized stuff and the internet stuff. So if the rats are now communicating, it's not quite telepathy, but through the internet, like thousands of kilometers away or whatever, using the net, I mean, that... That is it's a forging that is, of alliances, and it's terif- It's it's the worst thing. It's the worst possible thing that could have happened. This is the one <laughs> thing we didn't want to happen. So, as a plebeian level human being, as we both are currently ranked on the Brady Dickbot scale, uh, how do you? What's your first reaction to this information, and what's your first step towards uh, safeguarding yourself and your loved ones? Well, my first reaction is making a brass eye reference, which I'm glad you got. I can tell by your giggle. Um, did you? No. Ah, it's the pedophile episode. Yeah. Where like a guy dresses up as a skull <laughs> yeah, and moves around. Down. And there's a, there's a bit where uh, they send a pedophile into space as punishment, but they accidentally leave an eight-year-old on board. <laughs> That's right. Who's hiding out in there. And they get a comment from the, the guys who've coordinated it and they say, this is the, the very worst thing that could have happened. This is the one thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> oh. At any rate, um, so after that initial reaction, um, look, my second reaction is abject fear. Uh, and then some sort of acceptance because I've been thinking about um, the end times recently a lot. Uh, and I just think, We've all got to admit that sometimes it's got to come. It's got to come for us all and just got to make our peace with it a little bit. And mm-hmm. if it comes at the hand of an alliance between an artificial intelligence created by uh, the Japanese and retribution to the Americans for Pearl Harbor uh, and his new found friendship with a boy who's controlling all of the rats in New York City, I mean, there's something beautiful about that. Of all the ways yeah. to go, I think it's not the worst. It's It's... You know, it's called being gracious in defeat. And uh, mm. I think that's what you're exuding right now, Tim, is sort of just uh, a willingness to let fate wash over you. Uh, I, for one, welcome our internet-enabled vermin overlords. Well-spoken, Kent Brockman. Thank now, you. what I think concerns me even more deeply is that the lead scientist on this, uh, Miguel Nicolaisis, uh, so he, pretty much what happened is, as you said, the, the rats... They were connected through the internet, and if they helped, they could help each other perform tasks to get rewards. So at one point, a light went on for one of the rats, and they'd hit the light, and then that would travel through the internet, and it would trigger the other rat to think, okay, I'll hit the light, and they'd both get a drink of water. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's preliminary days, but it's it's worrying, and it's fearsome. What uh, do you think of it all? Well, what do you well, make of I it? I think what gets me is that and- Anders Sandberg who uh, he studies the ethics of neurotechnologies at the Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford University. So this is one of our premier scientists who's obviously crossed over to the dark side. His quote, I don't think there's any risk of super smart rats from this. There's a big difference between sharing sensory information and being able to plan. I'm not worried about an imminent invasion of rat multiborgs. <laughs> is that well, not just well a, bold, by him. a bold-faced lie? <laughs> Um, I just I think he knows not what he does. Did Doctor Frankenstein realize what he was creating when he flipped the switch and lightning struck? I think not. It's not Doctor Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein's monsters. Doctor Frankenstein. Ugh. <laughs> Jesus Christ, guy. 
Your desire to correct me superseded any need for you to do so. You were just waiting for the word Frankenstein to pop up Mate, so you could correct someone, and I, I nailed it. I couldn't have made that up any more than I did. I was deliberately being an asshole in the yes, hopes you that you would get on board with me. But in, nah, it sounded not, too... I'm too tired. I'm, t- I'm, on a, I'm too tired, man. I just... That movie really tuckered me out. I, d- I wrote some notes down. I'll see if any of them are worth sharing. Let me check real quick. I've just... I wrote the, the words, oh boy, down a lot. Oh boy. That was, that was... When the movie was starting, like, for the first 10 minutes, that's just what I was thinking over and over in my head. I was just like, oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy. That, oh boy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, here I am again. Oh boy. Watching it again. Oh boy, oh boy. Not oh like boy. this. It, it, it takes... It's... Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. One yeah. thing I did write down as well, Guy, if I may uh, take you off track of you're just mindlessly agreeing with me, is the <laughs> financials of the wedding. Mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, yeah, staggering, obviously. I mean, uh, addressed in the film. And maybe one of the but only... Ever so briefly. Yeah. Ever so briefly. But also the closest the movie ever comes to referencing uh, just the display of wealth that is out for all to see they never really acknowledge the absurdity of their oh i guess fleetingly with passing jokes but they never really properly acknowledge just how insane the whole experience of the trippers and this is the only time where it's actually like oh so you paid money for this and they're like yeah yeah we had to pay money for this we paid all the money for this well fuck the trip briefly the wedding let's focus in on this thing we're in a destination in New Hampshire, um, in New ha- no Connecticut, isn't it? Yeah, it's Connecticut. Connecticut, and it, and it looks pretty flashy. So you know you're dealing with the usual obscene amounts of venue rental for somewhere that can suit a wedding. So we're talking like you know probably early five digits, right, right there up front. You've got a full choir, kind of two by the looks of it that you've hired of like full two male choirs of good looking young men. So I don't know if the specificity of that drives the price up or if it's a happy coincidence, but either way, they're not there for free. No, you've hired Liza Minnelli as your officiator and you've gotten a performance out of her. Now I don't know exactly how bright her star is shining these days, but I can't imagine Liza picking up the phone on that kind of a gig for any less than six figures. Uh, okay. Good point. Well raised. Yes. Catering. Always one of the most expensive parts of a wedding. And it doesn't matter if it's a, 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 a cheaper wedding to put on, a more expensive wedding. It always scales with the wedding, right? So no matter how much they paid for everything else, the food is going to be proportionate to that. So I reckon whatever they laid down for Liza, they probably laid down again in catering. Well, you, you look at it. So the 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 night of the wedding, that's a free for all on champagne. I mean, there are half finished glasses all over the party. It is a uh, a caterer's sort of a young caterer worker, a, a young caterer worker's wet dream because they could just go around scooping up all those half half finished glasses of champers. They'd be getting absolutely trolleyed out of the back. Then walking around, acting all. You ever fancy. worked a wedding guy? Uh, I've not worked. No, I've not worked a wedding as a caterer. I knew I've worked in uh the reason I'm so keen on these half finished things is when I worked at a I worked at an Asian fusion restaurant and a lot of tables would order the buffet. 
And if they'd order the buffet, there'd always be more food than they could possibly finish. But for some reason, the restaurant was like, you can't take the buffet food home in a dog box, doggy box, whatever. Otherwise, it it's, uh, doesn't make any financial sense for us. So I would just look around for the untouched big bowls of curry. And I'd just be fucking, you know, I'd slip around the back back wall and just be putting it hand to mouth feeding just oh straight God. in absolutely Jesus. Uh, and if I you got caught doing that you were in big trouble sometimes I just fill up takeaway boxes of curry and hide them around the restaurant then during the <laughs> cleanup, I just pick them up and take them home feed the flatmates <laughs> I remember um, when they established that rule at Mickey D's. I was at McDonald's and we'd just bloody absolutely cane it on a run of like quarter pounders. Just make far too many of the things. So if someone was going on a break, you'd just siphon off about half a dozen of them upstairs. Yes. For the tea room. And then they, um, they changed the whole method of how it works so that I'm pretty sure this is the reason why McDonald's started doing uh, build to order in New Zealand. Because the staff were just making ludicrous amounts of burgers and eating them all. And although they made it this whole campaign, like they were competing with Subway, where it was like, oh, we're going to make your burger fresh for you in front of you. Fuck that. No one's going to McDonald's to get a fresh burger. That has never been the case. That will never be the case. What they're doing is they're trying to save money by only making burgers as the customers order them so the staff can't eat them all. You've just you've blown the lid on this whole goddamn operation, Tim Bat. I have. I, I, I'm one for it, guy. I've got the brain that just, I see through the code. I can read the matrix. You absolutely can. So back to the wedding. They blew all this money on the shampoos and canapes on the night of yeah. the wedding. The yeah. next morning, how much would it cost to have a full sit-down catered-for meal for all of your guests, roughly 200 where yeah. they order off the menu with waiters. Yeah. So do you think that um, Anthony and Stanford picked up the tab on that as well? Uh, I feel like it was all... I feel like they fronted everything. Yeah. Although, no, God. it's getting pretty wacky. But, like, you know, they all stayed in the same building where the reception Le- was. Well, yeah, but let's assume everyone paid for their own ACOM in that place because that's generally how, how things go down at a wedding. It's I'm, like we're having it here. I don't get asked to many weddings. They usually... Guy, when you've got friends, um, mature friends who get married and enter into harmonious uh, and committed relationships, they go, we're getting married at this venue and if you want to stay here, we got a discount, but it'll cost you 250 a night. And uh, then you say, no, I've brought a tent. And um, <laughs> then you... <laughs> they say, that's not really going to fit with the aesthetic of the of the uh, wedding, Tim. It's kind yeah. of a quite a nice place and the only lawn available is for croaky. You, you turn up and you look positively bushly for the uh, <laughs> aftermatch the morning after. It's terrible. Here we're all a mess. Next thing you know, Tim Bat's waking up at 9am the morning of the day after the wedding with a croquet ball in his head. You know, two angry, angry groupsmen <laughs> holding mallets at the end of your tent saying, what are you doing on here? Of course, this would never be my style, but I know there is a particular brand of lad out there who would uh, just book no accommodation and attempt to bed whatever bridesmaid or friend thereof they could get their hands on that they know has got accommodation and there's nothing wrong with that yeah Uh, well except that you're using someone yeah but if they like you enough uh it'll be fine learning a lot about guy montgomery this episode we're peeling i wasn't talking about myself i was speaking hypothetically and i can't you're still talking about your value system (laughs) um do you know what i tried to do during the wedding scene um Alan, who's the annoying bitch who has Carrie and Big up against a wall because they decide not to have children. She's outraged, she's shocked, she's mortified by the fact. She's probably Um, just terrified by her overbearing husband as well at every turn. That's true. 
I was trying to see it from her side though this time. I was really like, okay, I want to enter into Alan's side of things. I'll try and see things from her perspective. And I I struggled. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get into this mode of like um, judging other people for not having children and being shocked. That's a, I just, what kind of a sheltered upbringing have you experienced that someone deciding to not have kids has, has shook you to your core like that? Uh, I guess a Mormon. Yeah. Uh, also, I think what I, I don't know if I mentioned in earlier episodes, formerly a member of the Church of Noah, uh, who then left to become a Mormon. So still holding on to some of those near and dear family value morals uh, that are instilled in, in Nikki as well. And in fact, you'll see in, in several scenes in the background, you'll see Nikki and uh, Alan making awkward eye contact and then avoiding them. They had a sort of a, a tryst. Uh, during their time in the Church of Noah. But, I mean, that's, not that, that's by the by. So you can't um, really describe the Church of Noah as conservative per se because of this uh, desire, want, rule, parameter, flavor of having rampant sex with people at, at weddings. Uh, that, but but that's, it, nor that's, is it liberal. Well, it's sort of... You know, for the for members like Nikki and Alan, it's sort of a, a build your own belief system. I like that a pick and mix approach to that's spirituality. Right. So I in the that. higher echelons of the church, I mean, that sort of uh, hanky panky is outright forbidden. But for younger members who are sort of uh, decaling their nequabs, so to speak, mm. uh, I mean, it, it's it's commonplace as it is, I'm sure, in any uh, religion these days. What? One final thing I wanted to share about the wedding, and then my notes uh, ended abruptly because I think I fell asleep at that point for a bit, was, uh, I'll tell you what, I have developed a big old man crush on uh, that gorgeous black guy who's hanging out with Pink Jacket, who talks to Samantha. Norm Lewis. He's an opera star. Oh, man. I got a big old boy crush on him. He is is dapper. He is charming. And that voice. Yeah. Isn't he a Broadway performer? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. He's so cool. He is uh, a bit of all right. He's a handsome man. And he's got just the right amount of, um, <clears throat> in his delivery, like, uh, what's the word? Kind of a, a, a smiley, cheeky delivery without it being too over the top. It's just enough to, you really warm to him. I, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you, Tim. And he's also got, I mean, he's bouncing off one of the heaviest actors in the film. I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about in terms of uh, effort visible on screen during a performance reminiscent of P. Schwarzenegger Grown Ups 2 circa 2013 oh, I thought you were talking about Kim Bring the Noise Cottrell but you were talking about Pink yeah. Shower the Pain Jacket I'm talking exactly about Pink Shower the Pain Jacket now Tim I'm just uh, keeping an eye on time here and I'm aware that we're we're all running all, already running late as you might say I've just got a, a note uh, sort of if you will an edit point no uh, a correction you know, in the newspaper, they get a fact wrong. Someone writes in and says, you got that fact wrong. The newspaper then prints a thing saying, oh, we got that fact wrong. Yeah, dog. Uh, Suzanne Summers never hosted Figure It Out on the Nickelodeon Network. It was, in fact, Summer Sanders. Uh, did you hosted. suggest that at one point? Yeah, I did. I got, I mean, it's the sibilance, isn't it? It's the S sound. I got Suzanne Summers and Summer Sanders confused. Suzanne Summers and Summer Sanders. Suzanne Summers and Summer Sanders. That's a good tongue twister. You're doing well with it. I... I I completely missed that. I mean, I don't think I'd correct you because I don't know the show well enough either. But the only thing I know Suzanne Summers from is Step by Step, which is some more S's in the mix. Suzanne Summers and Step by Step and Summer Sanders. <laughs> this summer. And the, the summer blockbuster. Suzanne <laughs> Summers from Step by Step and Summer Sanders and this summer's blockbuster. 
That's too much. Uh, look, Jesus, you are an agile-tongued young man. You didn't trip once on that. That's right. Uh, Good on you, guy. I was doing tongue weights in the off-season. Hey, Tim. Well done, you. Yeah, dog. I think that's a squab a bub Sorry. Well, I was trying to say that. Scoop. 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 What's he doing? What's he doing? Scared to Frank Sinatra. That's the question. Could I? There's a man in this film, guy. I want to just let our new listeners in and let them know. I feel like some people might have jumped on board with the five-hour episode recently, which <laughs> tip of the hat to you if that was your entry point. A lot of people have been getting in touch about that episode um, because I think there's been a lot of trips over the Christmas New Year period that people have been taking on planes and trains and automobiles. Mm. And um, thanks for listening, I guess is all I have to say. I don't know what's on that episode because I haven't listened to it and I can't remember what we said. It's diff- first of all, we got two guests in for the first half, uh, Michael and Patrick King, and that's then true. I'm pretty sure that it's just us two just having the worst possible time. But that's neither here nor there. You're explaining what exactly he is wearing and how to tie a bow tie. Oh, really? Yeah, I wasn't aware. Those were the questions we were asking, answering. Um, the guy to which we refer is a man in the back of shot when uh, the film's quadrant of ladies quartet rather of ladies uh, are sitting in a cafe having a bit of brunch and over no Miranda's shoulder is um, a guy who through the magic of editing in the film appears to consume an entire cup of coffee in six seconds and three gulps he's just constantly downing that hot java that he loves so much Mm. And we've postulated over the weeks and months and seasons as they've gone by as to exactly what the fuck that guy is doing with that amount of caffeine in his system. And um, the truth of the matter is, guy, we've cracked it this week. Haven't we, <laughs> haven't we just? I couldn't agree more. Tim. The guy the guy had a, a conversation with his partner, his life partner, his wife, uh, if you will, if you abide the Church of North, uh, that very morning who was uh, sort of Samantha's best friend uh, in the high school years. Her name is Kimmy. Uh, and they sort of, they lost touch across university. And then through the years, they've kept in touch via uh, emails or initially fax, faxes and then emails. Uh, and Kimmy has always maintained that Samantha and her are the firmest of friends. In fact, Kimmy categorizes Samantha as her best friend. And uh, it's sort of the only real bone of contention. What is otherwise a very harmonious marriage, because Coffee Guy just uh, he he will not stand for this. He never sees her. I mean, if that's her best friend, it, he he's got no idea. You know, mm. the the claim rings hollow on his end. And right. he's uh he's pretty much gotten down to work. So what he's done is he because of course I mean they were best friends and I have seen Kimmy and Samantha were best friends right through high school fade a little bit in university they both worked they interned together in New York City uh, initially after university uh, but then of course Samantha kind of got picked up by uh, three three other friends uh, a la Donnie and the Wild Thornberries you know it's Charlotte I met Charlotte here I met Miranda here and uh, Samantha <laughs> she found us and uh, what it is is He's gone out there. He's done some research. He knows exactly where they where they uh, load up on food and and conversation. You'll notice a newspaper 
to the bottom mm. right corner of his table relative to his mm-hmm. body, okay? Folded over in half, much like gangsters of yore used to carry a gun to guard in diners, he has placed a small dictaphone in which he is recording the conversation between Samantha, Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda. Now, as soon as Samantha says, you didn't think I'd go to Abu Dhabi without my three best gal pals, boom, job done. Lock it off, wrap it up, walk out the cafe, go home, win that argument, take a holiday in Antigua. I don't know what they do with their time together. But that's it. As far as he's concerned, that's a nail in the coffin of that argument, which has been a spectre over their marriage for nigh on 20 years. Holy shit. He'd go to all that trouble to prove his wife wrong, that she's not actually friends with um, with someone she's claiming to be best friends with since high school. He's a petty man. God, Samantha, Samantha Jones has turned into this porn in a uh, horrible marriages war. I think this is... Bride what, versus groom. Yeah. What's happening now is just... Uh, there are so many interesting subplots and side stories developing uh, all around the action of Sex in the City too, And yeah. I feel like we're finally approaching a point in our analysis where we can fully magnify and investigate uh, all of these alternative storylines. Well, thank God. Thank God someone had the wherewithal time and commitment to do it. And thank God it's us, two gentlemen equipped uh, with the mental faculties to dig through the malaise and fog of what the movie immediately throws at you and to to get in there, peel back the layers of the onion and find out that inside there is a bulb and that bulb is shiny and not what you would expect. Timbat, I could kiss you on the mouth if we were in the same room, but I cannot. There's a bit of audio that I I wanted to start using from the movie, but I'm not sure of what the copyright implications would be, so I'm just going to say it. Um, because it would be so perfect for one of our regular visitations on this podcast. Mr. Big uh, walks in on Carrie, who was packing to take her overseas trip, and he's got this tiny empty cup of coffee, which is obviously empty. He takes an imaginary sip from it, and he said, I had an idea I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> and I wish we could use that bit of audio, but like I said, I'm, I'm not sure if we could get the clearance from the studios to uh, I, chuck I- that on. I have an idea I want to talk to you about. I had an idea I want to talk to you about. What we'll do is we'll <coughs> harness and refine our Mr. Big impersonations to the point that us delivering the line will be virtually indistinguishable from Good. Chris North, who's uh, much busy with other ventures than acting in movies now, for those of you who are curious. Uh, anyway, the, it's, the book is called Mr. Big's Big Book of Ideas, and the man who is... He's seen some highs, he's seen some lows. He's always scheming, always plotting, always planning, always drawing up something. Oh, yeah. A lot of stuff going on in that book. It's uh, Inventions, patents, back to ideas front, for inventing patents. Bottom to top, loaded with ideas. Mm. What's going on in there? He's come up with a board game guy. He's come up with um, his very own version of, uh, uh, what's the old Milton Bradley game called? Rat. Uh, rat, no. What is it? Rat trap? Oh, ma- mouse, mouse trap. Mouse, mouse trap. Thank you. He's got a, a variant on it. So, in a similar way to how often academics and um, professors and researchers who work in psychology will come up with games to test their subjects, right? They come up with fun little games that you can play and then they, they derive some findings out of that and they figure it all out. So, what Mr. Big is trying to release out into the market for mass distribution this holiday season is a brand new game that is going to equip the world, make them ready to take on Brady's Rat Army. 
So he's developed a form of mouse maze where you're given um, a particular set of parameters similar to Cluedo, where there's like a set amount of resources you can use as weaponry um, and some set battlefields that you can choose from. And then you have to get uh, incredibly tactical at taking on the vermin that are in the board game. His ultimate goal with this isn't to make money. It's not to gain prestige uh, among the board game crowd, you know, which are a lovely crowd to have the love of. We all know this. Mm. Lovely fan base to grab. He's not after that. He hasn't even put in his, his name on this board game. He's just there to prepare the masses, the general populace, for the coming rat and he's, courtesy of one Brady. He's not sounding the alarm. He's no. not. He's not because uh, he knows that will panic the people. That's right. right. That's the beauty of Big. He knows how people work, and he knows a little bit about how rats work too. And he's trying to use his knowledge of human behaviour, which he's used so aptly. Uh, in adeptly to figure out the stock market and make a lot of money in spite of his color blindness and vertigo and his, his big big building that he lives in um it's he's now turning his hand to a more uh philanthropy philanthropic 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 end <laughs> which is saving humanity against um the rats i hope that the uh the first draft doesn't give too much away so to speak. I hope he keeps uh, some of that information under his hat. Maybe not use specific Brady or Dickbot-friendly terms, but rather, yeah. uh, and not rats specifically, because I feel like that's only going to, I mean, people are smart. You know, they see they see bullshit a mile off, and they're going to draw lines between uh, things. But, I mean, I, I'm very interested, uh, you know, as a as a plebeian-level human being, as we both are currently well, graded. To, to Here's how he does it because the way that you thread the needle to um, release a board game to educate the masses on how to prepare for the rat ocalypse without tipping your hand to either Brady the Rat King or Dickbot the AI is you use the thing that humans excel at which is pattern recognition you see robots are very good at calculating things taking things literally and figuring them out and what rats are very good at is um, biological weaponry. They'll bite you, they'll scratch you, they'll fuck you up. They've got the numbers. You know, they'll take you down. They're dirty beasts. They carry a lot of diseases. So what you're going to do is, uh, th- this is why humanity succeeded over the animals so far. We pass on our information orally through story and myth and legend. We transmit it. We, we don't We don't go literal. This is why people who interpret the Bible as being uh, literal text, you're an idiot. You're a fool. The earth wasn't literally created in seven... Excuse me, seven rotations on its axis. That's madness. No, no, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor, people. You got to learn because if you start taking that shit literally, we're going to reveal ourselves uh, to our enemies. And that, you know what, Mister Big knows that. He's a smart man, a very smart man, and uh, a force to be reckoned with in this forthcoming and ongoing battle of the titans. Big time. Hey, guy. Hey, Tim. Did you have a shining light for this watch of this film? Tim, it wouldn't be a watch watch. of Sex in the City 2 if Guy Montgomery didn't come packed with a shining light. Uh, My shining light was, well, it started as a shining light and then became deeply infuriating. But the shining light in itself was the the very realistic retelling of the opening bars of a karaoke song with your friend. So you've got the four gals, they've just gone up, they're going to sing Iron Woman, Hear Me Roar. And there's confusion as, as around to the count that leads them in. I believe Samantha jumps the gun early and she's created by Carrie saying, no, no, no. No, it's Charlotte. Charlotte. She goes, no, no, we come in now. No, I, th- yeah. I think Charlotte tut-tuts. Carrie explicitly says when they come in. 
Anyway. No, but Charlotte is the one who goes early. Ah, oh, well, it's Charlotte. There you go. Anyway, what, it, what, whoever it is, I mean, the reason... You would think you would know by this point, the, but yes. Well, on. I was so absorbed in the the accuracy of the storytelling. I mean, it's exactly like four friends singing karaoke. However, they then go on to sing an off-pitch, uh, an off-taste, no, I'm not going to say off-taste, but just not very good uh, version of I'm Woman, Hear Me Roar. Not two minutes ago, a guy belted out what was more than a passable version of Foreigners, it feels like the first time. He was barely getting the interest of the crowd. And you meant to tell me that everyone, and the crowd were like, they were captive. They just weren't engaging with it the way they do with Iron Woman, Hemi Raw. I know it's filmed, you know, I know you've got to cheat a little bit, but their their version is worse than his version, it feels like the first time. The only thing they do to engage the crowd is Carrie throws at everybody, which is, I I mean, maybe that's the cover-up, but... I suspect as well that they're um, doing karaoke with a version where the lyrics have been slightly um, adapted as well. Because Paul F. Tompkins, and we had him on notice this as well. I'm not sure if we brought this up in the in the episode. Embryo. Embryo. No, I'm no, just an embryo with a long, long way to go. Is that in the song? That's in the song. I heard it. I've on, never heard it before. I heard it on The Sound, the soundtrack to our lives on New Zealand radio recently. Good God. Anyway, that was my shining light, Tim. Uh, hey, thank you. And <laughs> so what? So hold on, hold on. Let me drill down into this. The shining light is the kind of friendship moment of doing karaoke together, or is it the fact that they get a lot of love in the building? Ah, uh, no, no, which that, they that, deserve it's, or what? It's, it's the acting and storytelling at the beginning of their song when they get it wrong. They're all laughing and they're all nervous, and one of them sort of takes charge and says, "No, no, we're coming now." So it's that moment between them walking on the stage to sing karaoke and them starting to sing karaoke. As soon as they start singing karaoke, uh, the moment's gone. You know? Okay. I haven't said anything for a while because you Skype um, oh, well, cut I, out a little bit I was, there in the middle. I was very, art- very, I was okay. very articulate. Uh, now, let's put a... I'll assume the best. Let's put a pin in this thing, Tim, because uh, it's time to go. But before we do that, we have... A very mm. exciting non-rat-based announcement. Two, in fact. The first one is I'd just like to say thanks again to Josh Peters. Um, we've started using his banjo intro now for the podcast because I think we've entered into an increasingly sad um, period. I'm just like, I think it is more capturing of the mood of where we're at now. Um, so we'll, we'll go out on his one as well. Josh Peters, thanks again um, for big, producing that for us. Yourself. Completely, we didn't ask for that. No, apropos you know, of nothing. He's a good guy. He is. And sorry, as you were with um, the second big announcement, which is, I would say, cooler. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we are very excited to announce that we will be ending uh, discussions vis-a-vis Sex in the City 2 live from the city from which the franchise and television show was born, New York City, baby. Oh my god! I almost fudged it because I made it sound like we were going to go to Abu Dhabi, but we are absolutely not going to Abu Dhabi. We're going. To we New didn't York. toy with the idea <laughs> yeah. briefly, but we decided um, not to. Yeah, because we're idiots. But it's it just wouldn't. The gag of doing it wouldn't quite be enough to serve. Yeah. going all the way to the Middle East. That's that's quite right. So uh, all we know of, we don't know the venue yet, but all we know is that there will be a live final episode of season two, the worst era of all time. Uh, in New York City on March the 3rd. Um, so other than that, we can't give you any information because we are not particularly well-organized gentle folks and we have no more information to give. We're also looking at doing a split-bill stand-up show uh, just because 
I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know what you think, Tim. I reckon that'd be fun. That's just, you know, that's, I'm sort of talking to you off. Well, obviously, I'm on mic, but this is, you know, you're just looking at me absentmindedly. The Skype's coming in and out, so I'm just saying if it's going to catch up. But yeah, no, everything you said, I'm going to assume was all good. We're heading to the East Coast for the first time <laughs> for a live show. It's going to be great. So check off March 3rd in your calendar, in your iCal. Tick that whole evening off because you're going to be hanging out with your old mates, Timbo and Guy Guy. Um, and it's going to be cool. And we kind of, we're also toying with the idea of uh, mayhaps doing a little stand-up show while we're there as well, doing half an hour each. So I don't know. If you, if you care enough to want to go and see that and pay small amounts of dollars for it. Um, I, that's, let us know, Tim, I, I guess. I didn't, yeah, that's a grand idea, Tim. I had no idea we were planning on doing that. I think that's a choice as idea. So uh, We should do it. Yeah, more details to come as they come. Otherwise, for fuck's sake, could we just turn this thing off? Yeah, mate, you go and enjoy the rest of your holiday. Um, and uh, God bless you. God bless, God bless your little cotton softs. Decal your neck one. It's the worst idea of all time. It's the worst idea of all time. It's the worst idea of all time. Season two.